My name is Josh Alvarez. And I'm Liam O'Donnell. <laughs> You're listening to the Technocratic episode 146 of Cinepunks. Dude. Cinepunks. Holy shit, man. Uh, okay, so here's the thing. We are an hour late on recording time, which I know once this enters the whole internet ether, no one's going to know. And they're just going to be like, oh, wow, these guys are so profesh. You can't even tell that they started an hour after they were supposed to while they were battling not only illness, but also technology. Yeah, let's let's. Well, uh, so first things first. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Everyone out there who thinks that recording a podcast is easy. You just show up and talk to a microphone. It's not. It, it, you're not wrong, but the reality is talking into a microphone is more complicated than you think it is, especially when uh, you're whatever the distance is between Philadelphia and Chicago. That like you know making sure everyone's computery stuff works right. So we we've just tried three different methods just to make sure this thing works, and this is after having to pospo- postpone a few days because my man's here got the big C. Yo, man, ill the illest out. The yeah, sickest. man. That's yo, me, Joey. Yo, what's it like being a plague victim? <laughs> it's Joseph? wild, dude. <laughs> Pizza tastes delicious. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so it's funny. Like once I once I tested positive for COVID, I was like, "Oh man, uh, this isn't a big deal at all. I feel completely fine, except there's another line on my little testy guy here." And then <laughs> I was real cavalier about it. I was like, "Oh yeah, well I guess I'm just home for five days. Cool." And Liam was like, all right, so we're going to record tomorrow, right? I'm like, yeah, 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 no sweat. Just a little COVID, little COVID vacation recording. It's cool. And then the day broke the next day, and I was colder. You know, Liam, in the Allegarian dis- d- um, definitions of hell, uh, circles. Sure, yes, yes, And the yes. ninth circle being the furthest from God's warmth and love. Yes. That's where I was, Liam. Far, yes. baby. Burning. Nowhere near, well, nowhere look, near warm. You were, you were, you were, you were burning with frozenness. Is what you and were doing. The thing is, my temperature, like with the thermo, the thermometer that we purchased at the beginning, at the outset of COVID, sure, um, was just like, oh hi, your temperature is ninety seven point four, which is pretty much normal for you. Like, yeah, why do I feel like my body temperature is seventy degrees, room <laughs> temperature? Why? You felt like the dead. Yeah, man, shit was wax, and then we had to postpone, so here we are. And then I was like, all right, we'll just do this the same way that we normally do things, because we've, we've, oh, here's the thing. Okay, longtime listeners of the show know, Joey's not the best computer man. I'm not. I just don't do computers very well. But that said, Liam, can you please speak to the fact that just now I was very cavalier in attacking our techno problems? It's true. It's true. Getting everything together. Like a boss. Yeah, I mean, you know, we don't need to to, to reveal <laughs> all of our recording secrets, but suffice it to say, the the thing that you were doing 
should have been okay, but it wasn't. Then we tried a whole new thing. That also was not okay. And then you went back to the old thing, and suddenly the old thing was okay, only after you restarted a bunch of other things. It's just, you know, it's I, I'm logically I know that technology is just what it is. And even if it's not working, there's a reason. There's a logical reason, nine times out of ten, that stuff isn't working. But as far as I'm concerned, half the time I feel like I'm just waving sprites away. Like if someone <laughs> like like if I opened a Google thing and they were like, Now make sure you burn your sage before you restart your laptop, I'd be Are like, you Yeah, seated may- in your circle of toadstools. Yeah. Very good. Continue. I'd, I'd just be like, Yeah, okay, I'll light the sage on fire. That makes sense. Like there's just it's just sometimes it really feels like you know cross your fingers cross your toes hopefully this is going to be okay and i hate that like i want to live in a world of logic and reason but like we don't you know the shit just sometimes doesn't work and it's not clear why so i mean is it true that if if i was a technological master or josh had the computer skills of your average 22 year old (laughs) then like would this be going easier? Yeah, probably. But I, I suspect, you know, friend of the show, Doug Tilly, is like, compared to us, he's like a hacker. You know, I, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Doug Tilly compared to us is Tron and we're Conan. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. He is Tron. But, yeah, but you know what I mean? Like, he's, uh, you know, I'm sure there are people whose skills, listen to this podcast even, whose skills far outweigh Doug's. But compared to us, Doug is... The mass he's the cy- he is cyborg as far you know, sort of whatever but uh but he's uh, cipher from uh, Fast and the Furious franchise yeah sure he's Charlize Theron stop it I hate this so much <laughs> the point is is that even he has had weird technical issues that it's just like I don't know restart it you know turn it off and turn it back on like you just don't know right like it's yeah, it's, yeah it's so so wack. Not, not to bum thing. you all out with all of our technical issues anyways we're it, it is fitting though because we are doing. Uh, the mashup on this episode of techno fear and uh, hu- body horror with this episode as we're discussing Tetsuo the Iron Man and uh, from 1989, 87. I should have looked that up. My bad, guy. Y'all, <laughs> I thought I knew it off the top of my head. And 1996's Crash. Yes, it's I, gonna be a rollicking good time. Basically, I just knew. What what that was is I knew Crash off the top of my head, so then I was like, yeah, I got, I got them both. I'm good to go. And then I didn't know what year Tetsu was from. So eighty nine, eighty nine. Okay, thank you. Uh, do you guys have this thing where sometimes IMDb wants you to sign in? Yeah. For, for what? Just give me the fucking information. I, I don't know, right? Like why? For who? For what? You know what I'm saying? Or are you just you're tracking which movies I care about? Get the fuck out of here! Like I just, <laughs> I I don't, I I hate that when I just need a quick fact from IMDb and they're like, no, oh, you need to sign in. Yeah. And it's also like, no, man. We that's why we got Letterbox to ignore. You think I'm gonna listen to you? <laughs> IMDb? No, 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 sir. Not a thing. I've been trying to keep up with my letterbox a little bit more, but it's it's hard, man. It's hard to remember. Yeah, man, I'm not into it, dude. As, you know, at this point, which is funny, because again, given the topic of our inter our our uh, episode this week, and also just given the nature of my isolation, because I've been on isolation, y'all, for like this is day five. Uh, I'm just I can't look at my phone anymore. I think I'm gonna go blind. You know what I mean? Just <laughs> reading all these terrible things, and it's just—it's awful. Just can't do it, man. Can't do it. I'm out, baby. I mean, yeah, 
I guess so. <laughs> I'm not quite. I'm not quite there yet. But I, but it is true that like you know that there were as there are aspects of this technology question, which I think these movies you know we 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 were also considering talking about uh, Tatane, and I think we will probably talk about it. Yeah. But it's funny we found an essay that was uh, that was combining those three movies, and mm-hmm. I was like, oh, someone's on the same page as us because that's like what we had on the mind. But after those things, I guess I should be a little bit more uncomfortable. But I feel like you know. I think Tatane is a little less anxious about our relationship with technology. It's mm. it's aware of the horrible possibilities, but it's a little less like, and it's all bad. It's like, well, it is what it is. You know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, and so like, I I feel like that's sort of where I'm at a little bit more. Is like, uh, you know, it is it is what it is, and I'm not that worried about it. I will I will say, I think it combines in specific negative ways with other things so like it's not that i'm worried about my phone as a thing even though i know that it can be addictive it's Mm -hmm. i worry about my adhd encouraging me to flee into my phone when i don't want to deal with other things so it's like and i know that if the phone if it wasn't the phone it'd be something else so this whole thing like when i was younger I've always been sort of amazed at what a good reader I am. And then something sort of broke at some point where I haven't been a good reader for a while. And it's only now that I'm understanding more about ADHD that I'm like, oh, my book was my hyper-focused escape from a world that was confusing to me. And now that I have the phone (laughs) as a much easier (laughs) escape, books are harder for me to get interested in. Oof. Man, it's a pickle navigating this world, huh, Liam? Oh Jesus! Oh, oh it's <laughs> I'm so out here watching Snake Plissken at the end of Escape from L.A. Like, <laughs> just about to burn it all down. I don't know. It's too. I much, did. Man. I did it's say to people. Much. I did say to some friends last night. Like we were talking about how weird the world is and thinking about having about the you know the children. All three of us are were dads in the conversation, and I was like, you know, sometimes I think like instead of like figuring my life out and getting a real career, I just need to become a survivalist dad because by the time I'm like Maeve is old enough for me to pass anything on to her. She's gonna much more need how no need to know how to like purify water or fend off like mutants. And she's gonna need to know like you know what to do with a four hundred one k or whatever. Right, you know what I mean? Right. Like she's like 401k, How about a machete, Dad? I was like, <laughs> I, I need one of those to fend yeah. off the mutant weirdos that are trying to kidnap me. I was like, <laughs> make I, me join their cult. At this point, the most you know the most actually valuable thing I'll have to hand down to her is my record collection, just because she can form it into some sort of vinyl armor yeah, that she wears true. in battle with the zombies or whatever is going to happen, you know. And then she can use the the ass suck record as a barter for passage to free <laughs> <laughs> to free world. I don't know where even that would be more. Anyway, I know, okay. Right? Before we get into talking about the dystopian reality that we live in, uh, let's. Let's take a moment, Josh, to remember the people who support this podcast. Obviously, the the most direct are the folks who support us on Patreon. You know, I'm not going to insult you guys by suggesting we're going to put more stuff on Patreon. I do think we will at some point, but at this point, we're still figuring out recording more regularly. So, <laughs> but we'll see. I know that Justin Lore has some good ideas, and hopefully he can get them off the ground. I know that some other people involved with the network have some ideas for Patreon. So, y'all, I would love, 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 love to get more stuff up on Patreon. But uh, uh, still, if you just believe in what we're doing here and you want the occasional, I'll, I'll send you a free T-shirt. I'll send you uh, – I send out coffee to all of our supporters when we had the the coffee partnership. Uh, so, yeah, there, there's stuff coming. So uh, go ahead and over to patreon.com backslash Cinepunks. Check it out. Uh, 
we're hoping that you uh, believe in what we're doing enough to throw us a few bucks here and there. Uh, Speaking also, of coffee partnership. Oh, yeah. Go for it. Who, who do you want to thank there, Josh? I'd like to thank Aaron Dalvik and the good people at Essex Coffee Roasters for keeping us laced and awakened with their beautiful, beautiful <laughs> coffee. I like and, laced uh, and awakened. That's a good... That's good, right? It's going to be the name of your next record, I think. Word. I should write copy for like a coffee company or something. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Aaron Dalbeck is the the uh, head honcho, the man in charge for Essex Coffee Roasters, where they uh, they have various blends of coffees and teas, but they also have T-shirts and sweatshirts, and um, they're just awesome. And Aaron is a fucking saint amongst man. And uh, he deserves all your money and support. So uh, we love Essex Coffee Roasters. We love Aaron. And if you do purchase coffee from them at EssexCoffeeRoasters.com, you can put in Cinepunks at checkout and get 10% off. And also tell Aaron that, yo, his boys in CP love him and that they're sending him some business. So win-win. You know what I'm saying? And you get coffee. So win-win-win. You're welcome. Wow. I know. I know. I know. So good, right? I am hopped up on coffee right now. That's the other part of this. Also, I've been in my house with just my poor wife and my poor dog, and I'm like explaining them theories that like Metallica got killed by the government and replaced by androids because they can play the old stuff, but they can't write the old stuff. Like, just like little things are kind of sneaking out, and I'm 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 beginning to get a little stir crazy. I'm not going to lie to you, listening people. Uh, I, yeah, it's a little weird. It's a little weird. No drugs too. I haven't done any drugs. None. Now you're not one. I know. Who else would you like to thank, Liam? Oh, man. <laughs> I, I liked just letting you go off there. That was pretty good. <laughs> because I was like, I don't even know where he's going with this. <laughs> Come on. You know Metallica still can't write another battery. Get the fuck out of here, those androids. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, uh, well, we also want to thank our friends over at Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. Uh, Chris Reject is the man. We love him. And uh, th- they're really the place you want to go for all of your screen printing needs, uh, whether you need sweatshirts or, you know, T-shirts, long sleeve shirts, bandanas, whatever it is. They're going to they're, they're going to offer you professional service, but also personable service. They are fun and interesting to work with. They can take your ideas and turn them into design gold. So head on over to XLVACX.com and let them know that you heard about them from us. And let Chris know that Josh Alvarez loves him very much. Yeah, I appreciate that. That makes sense. <laughs> All right. So, done and did. Now, this episode, Liam... So, this is how this episode generated, y'all. Like, most times, me and Liam are just talking, and it's a straight-up grab bag, whatever is riding around in that crazy head of either Liam's or mine. You know, whatever monster grabs it from the deep and then throws it right out the mouth. Throws it right out the mouth. And that's how we pick movies. It's uh, kind of like consulting a magic eight ball if you're not if, if we're being honest with you. But uh, with this one, Liam had just gotten the stitches out of his hand because his hand had to get doctored upon. And it's um, true, it's true. Then you posted a picture and everybody was like commenting and such, and I was like, "What if we did an episode on body horror?" Boom. All right, all right. Concept. Boom. See that. Joey came up with that. And then I was like, let's watch Tetsuo the Iron Man because I've never seen it. And let's watch Dave Cronenberg because he's kind of known. 
in the genre of body horror. I was like, why don't we watch The Brood? Only because I knew that Oliver Reed was in it. And I was like, I fucking love Oliver Reed, man. Like, the devils. Like, come on, man. This shit's going to be wild. And I'd seen it before, but I'd never, I hadn't, like, thought about it in any critical way. But I was like, body horror, Cronenberg, and then The Brood. So that was, like, how that happened, you know? Yeah. So then we watched both of these movies. I watched The Brood, and I watched Tetsuo. Tetsuo hit me in a place that I did not want to be punched. It was awful, and I loved it. It was it was just one of those movies where you're just like, wow, it's only an hour long, huh? Why do I feel like someone's been digging a screwdriver into my eyeball and tooth for the past six days? You know what I mean? Like That's kind of how it felt like watching that movie for me. Yeah. And then we watched The Brood, and um, it's body horror. I'm not going to say it's not body horror, but it is body horror of a different variety, right? Yeah, it's not it's not like it's so and, and I think this is true with Cronenberg over Tetsuo in general, though we're doing another Cronenberg movie. I think a lot of Cronenberg movies tend to be the body horror is there, but it's also a way of talking about other things. And specifically in the brood, the horror is the ways that we connect to someone and then we break off that connection mm-hmm. and there's still this like emotional wound festering between us you know and this brooding specter of pain and trauma that what if that were to manifest physically and that's what that movie's about which also i guess can be said about both the movies that we ended up picking because see here's what happened listening audience we ended up pivoting after watching the brood and me and liam both agreed like oh yeah this is body horror of a different type I think there's something a little bit more appropriate, and I suggested Titan. But the issue was that I think we had already discussed Titan in our uh, in one of the episodes. Yeah, of not a, not ex- not excessively, but enough that it felt like we would be talking about some of the same things. I, I mean, eventually we'll repeat ourselves. Like we'll probably talk about Titan again in another like couple years or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. But like so soon, it just felt like maybe people would feel like it's too quick We're to go back to the them. same yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So then Liam suggested Crash, which is another Cronenberg movie, and um, I'd never seen it. So I think we just decided then, like, yeah, let's just Crash and Tetsuo definitely go together quite nicely. And then we were further vindicated by Liam's research into the topic, found an article that conflated Titan and Crash and Tetsuo in one article about transhumanism. And uh, yeah, yeah, hey, you know what? We're not that dumb. Not no, that dumb. That's no. what it comes down to. So, well, and you know, you know I I do think there's ha, there has been a theme of the melding of humans with their technology for a while, but all three of those movies uh, take a particular sort of metal chrome look and involve cars and violence in cars, and you know what I mean. Like, mm. there's just there's just certain resonances between them, but they're also different enough to be interesting. So we might reference. Just, just. I guess what we're also saying here is that we, when we talk about these movies, we'll probably reference Titan a little bit, just because it feels like all three of these movies have similar themes, but are also still different enough that they're interesting to talk yeah. about together. So, anyways, I'm glad we got. I mean, I saw Crash. Both these movies are actually movies that I've technically seen before, but I didn't give a fair shake. Tetsuo, I got it way back when Netflix was still doing DVD stuff. And it's one of those movies that I tried to start a few times. Uh, I think it was post-college that I got it. And I just could never do it. It's just something about it. I, I, mm. Honestly, I think it was... Uh, and this is this is a, a confession of sorts for a lot of David Lynch fans out there. But I saw Eraserhead too young, and it had a, 
a very negative effect on me, such that it took me years to be able to go back to Eraserhead and be like, okay, this is good. This is good. David Lynch is good. I mean, that's not, that's not totally true because I always liked Twin Peaks, and I always liked some David Lynch movies, but something about what Eraserhead was bummed me out. And uh, people wondering why I'm referencing Eraserhead, there are definite similarities. Yeah, not, there's 100% like yeah. some type of synergy between this movie and Eraserhead, for sure. And I think that that bummed me out at the time. Now watching it, it's still a bummer thing. Like It's not supposed to be fun times, but it's I could appreciate it and be like, this is a fucking amazing just, just even that they could make because this is not a high budget film, right? Like yeah, yeah, what yeah. they're able to accomplish in this movie is unbelievable. And then with Crash, you know, I watched it way too young mm. uh, because I thought it was going to be a sexy times movie, and then it <laughs> is not that. I mean, I guess it is, but it's also very much not. And so I didn't get it. And on this watch, and this is the first time I've tried to rewatch it since watching it when I was young. I was like, this movie's amazing. I'm it's so glad. So brutal. Yeah, I really just picked it because I thought like, oh, chrome, bodies, sex. Yeah, this all makes sense. And then only while <laughs> watching it when I was was I like, oh, this all really makes sense actually. Yeah, this all it all tracks. Yeah. And uh so that's what we have for you on today's episode of Cinepunks. But before we get to that, Liam, what is it that you want to talk about now? Oh uh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's these two things and they're really they're really connected. It's um uh, <laughs> they're connected kind of like car crashes and fucking yeah yeah they are really it's uh, uh they're connected kind of in the way that tom stoked, and gary are connected sto- stoked and choked is that uh, what some, it is? Uh, something like that um chrome and bone is that what it is jamming and spamming is that uh, <laughs> is that the thing uh i think it might be a little thing that we call so liam yes what have you done lately that is whack yes or what have you done lately that is on track huh that's a good that's a good question there joshua josh <laughs> josh wasa uh i will say um people we talked about in the last episode that i was in a rush to catch a ton of movies before i did my end of year list and i covered a lot of the stuff i had gotten to watch uh on that episode um but i will say that something i didn't make an effort to watch that now that i have seen it i wish i had was that uh the harder they come movie the uh all black movie the all black maybe it's called something harder they fall uh i don't know this what movie. is the oh i gotta have to look it up y'all how do they come is the ska movie from the 60s starting no Jimmy but Clark. the but there's a uh josh oh oh josh that movie's a fucking stone cold classic anyone that has any questions about it can uh send it right to me i'll have to the... just the soundtrack for the harder they come is so iconic you know what I'm saying? It's the harder they fall. All oh, right, different movie. You don't know about this movie? No, sir. Buddy, you need to get on board. It's yeah. a western directed by uh, James Samuel, James Samuel, uh, all black western. Uh, interesting movie. Uh, the it's it's a fictional film, but all the various cowboys and outlaws in the film are based off of real people. They're all real people, and I like that. Uh, they just didn't actually know each other. But uh, the the idea was like, you know, not only do I want to do an all black western, but I want to base it on these like real historical figures as a way to remind people that like this whole thing where like the West was white is like 
just factually untrue. Just clearly not a thing. You know, even it's like e- surviving as white people on Dune. You know, that, <laughs> Get the hell that's, out of here. Well, that's fair, but this is like more. This is more like actually <clears throat> taking history and pretending it's not. You know, so uh. there were a bunch of various outlaws and bandits and cowboys and sheriffs. You know, in fact, the, you know, famously the Lone Ranger is based off of a of a black sheriff. So, um, you know, whatever. Point is this: it has Idris Elba in it. It has. Um, Zazie beats in it. It's got a bunch of a bunch of cool folks in this movie. Um, who else? Oh yeah, Jonathan Majors, Regina King, Delroy Lindo, uh, Lakeith Stanfield. It's a stacked cast. It's a stacked cast. Uh, and you know, I love a good western. Uh, I will say, you know, a lot of people when it came out were like, "Well, it's not as good as you know." I don't know what the fuck. Uh, you know, Once Upon a Time in the West or, you know, whatever spaghetti Western classic. Yeah, you're right. Good, the bad, and the ugly. The guy who directed this isn't fucking Sergio Leone. Good point. You know, thanks for pointing that out. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, and the and, and and your favorite band didn't write uh, 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 Age of Coral either, but that doesn't right, mean right. that the record's bad. It's just not Age of Coral. It's the same thing. It's not the best Western I've ever seen, but when it comes to modern westerns we almost never get them and when we do they tend to be like really bad actually so uh this one's pretty good um i didn't mind that the soundtrack was occasionally hip-hopified that doesn't bum me out uh i the idea that uh orchestral music played by italians is somehow more western than (laughs) that's also not real right like ennio morricone is not more western like the the only truly good truly accurate western music would not be good i wouldn't want to hear it so uh yeah yeah it's a little i'll give you ballad of buster scruggs that felt pretty i guess yeah i guess I, I don't know. It does whatever. We we don't have to get into an argument about how all white music is bad. But what we do need to what we do need to say is that it's it's pretty good. I thought it was worth it, and it, I think I don't think it would have made it on my top ten per se, but it might have because I really liked it, and I uh, it's just right up my alley as far as like like I guess what I'm saying is a lot of the movies that made it onto my overall top twenty were super artsy because those were the movies that were like easily accessible. Like a lot more art house cinema was immediately available mm. uh, to stream. So I saw more of those movies and I love those movies. I'm not against those movies, but a cool Netflix Western, if I had actually seen it, that would have made it on my top 20, I think just because it's a genre movie. That's good. And like anytime a genre movie manages to like be really good, I want to support it. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, uh, other than that, I've mostly been doing TV stuff. I watched Yellow Jackets. That was really good. Uh, I got access to the first half of the new season of Bluey, so you know I ate that up. What else have I been? What, what else? Have I been? Oh, there's a new show um, on HBO Max called uh, Someone. I think it's called Someone Somewhere. Yeah. Oh, Somebody Somewhere. It's a new show on HBO uh, that is um, that uh, stars uh, Bridget Everett, and I've always liked Bridget Everett as a comedian, uh, mm. and she's done like some acting here and there, but she's never had like uh, a, at least I've never seen her in a huge sort of starring role like this. And this mm. is like she stars in it, she helped write it. It's kind of based off of 
things that she went through. You know what I mean? Like, mm. it has some autobiographical elements. It's it's unbelievable. Like, I'm only three episodes in, but three episodes in, I'm like, so this is like the best show ever, right? Like, this is like we're all sold on this, right? Because it's it's really fucking good. So, um, and and then of course I have been watching the new season of Righteous Gemstones, especially because uh, the man uh, Eric Roberts is on it. He's one oh, of the no featured. Shit. Oh yeah. So people who that's the Walton Goggins TV show, right? Yeah, he's on that show too. I love some Walton Goggins, man. Bro, have you not? So you haven't watched Righteous Gemstones at all? No, I haven't watched any of it. Buddy, watch season one and see if you're into it. Because I think think you would like it. It's very ridiculous, but in a fun way. Um, And I, you know, there's a lot of awesome people on it. So I don't know. I I think you would, you know, uh, 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 Fuck, my brain's not working today. We'll just add, we'll just add. Oh, I will say also uh, that Homefront record. I've been posting about it online. Oh, but I don't it's know if so talked about it on here. It's I've been so, really so into good. that. Really, really into that. Oh, it's I, wonderful. And then today I just sent Josh a demo by um, a band called Celebrity. Yeah, I listened to it. It's pretty great. I like that as well. I'm into. Gotta that stay well. way down, way down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Um, I'm sure there's other stuff I've heard recently. I, you know, I'm always bad at keeping track of like new music. Uh, but honestly, even though I should be checking it, like a lot of new stuff has come out recently that I want to check out. I've been listening to a lot of stuff just for uh, Maeve because Maeve has suddenly expressed interest in music more than she had in the past. You know, so nice. I'm like figuring out stuff that she likes. She really likes the Encanto soundtrack, so we've been listening to that a lot. You know, have you seen that movie? Is the movie good? I loved it. Uh, a lot of people are iffy on it. But I really liked it. Uh, one of the things people have said they don't like about it is they think the music's kind of blah. And I'm like, I mean, you know, like someone literally was like, oh, I just think there's too many accordions on the soundtrack. What? And I'm like, <laughs> it's a movie set in Colombia. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. Colombian movie. There's going to be <laughs> fucking accordions, man. Like, that's the deal. That's the thing. Like, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's you know, it'd be like if a movie was set in China and they're like, oh, there's too many of those stringed instruments on there. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, man, that's the fucking, that's the vibe, man. Like, that's I don't know what, what you is. want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't, what, do you um, want a saxophone in there? I don't know. I, you know, I could spend some time talking about how there, there I, I, I've read some, reasonable criticisms of Encanto but the general vibe seems to be that like half the people who are into Disney are like this is the worst thing ever and I'm like what are you talking about like for me a lot of Disney movies aren't that good to me like I just think a lot of it's pretty you know maybe not bad but kind of boring and this one I didn't find boring I I was into it Uh, I I think it's I think the pacing's a little off I think well really what it is I've been saying the pacing but a friend of the show Brendan Agnew felt like the ending was unearned that the movie is actually pretty emotionally complex and then it wraps up too easy at the end because it still needs to be a Disney movie so it needs to have I think that could actually be solved with the movie being a little longer so they just spend more time getting to that ending but it's a short it's relatively short so you know but also if someone's going to say like oh this Disney movie has an unearned ending like fuck welcome to Disney what are we even yeah, talking about like, like you know what, what I mean you want these characters to struggle more to get to their dating mom like I'm not sense, really yeah. sure that's what we get I don't uh, know yeah just categorically you know I just yeah I, whatever I thought it was fun I, again it's I'm not saying it's like breaking the mold but I do think by focusing on family drama and not like a big bad it it's I think a more mature movie than a lot of other Disney films. So, mm-hmm. I, I think I think a lot of people who love Disney would be 
bummed on that. Like I'm getting the vibe that people are really bummed on it, but some people love it. I mean, I will say kids love the soundtrack. The soundtrack has exploded uh, as far as like numbers wise, because kids, there's a song about the, there's a character played by uh, John Leguizamo named Bruno, and there's a song about him. You know, we don't talk about Bruno, and kids fucking love that song. And I'm like, it's because all these kids are hungry for the Latin vibes. They need the Latin vibes. Bring the accordions. That song doesn't have a well. Actually, that song might have accordions that I didn't notice. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, I'll wrap it up there. I don't want to. I don't want to misremember anyone else's name or roles or whatever. <laughs> What's going on with you, Josh? So whack for me. I caught the plague. Yeah, you have the plague virus. Yeah, it was one of those things where I woke up last week and I was like, "Hey, a little chilly this morning, eh?" And then uh, I was like, "You know." Maybe I should just test myself because, you know, thankfully, Milani's job sent her 40 tests for COVID. And uh, I was like, yeah, we got these 40 tests here. Let's try one. And I did it and it came up positive. And I was like, hoi. It was like an hour before I was supposed to leave for work. And I, I, you know, I had to quickly realign and get myself together. And I was uh, told that I have to stay in the house up until february 1st which you know not the worst thing to happen to me that's tomorrow so we made it you know yeah but uh, the funny thing is like so i was talking to a friend of the show evo and uh i was like yo man like so what happens if i test positive before going back to work or whatever and he him and melani they both were telling me like oh yeah people have been testing positive months after they've gotten this omicron strain so, like, you know, it's kind of, like, dependent on, like, what happens with your symptoms and all that stuff, which almost from Jump Street, I was, like, symptom-free. You know what I mean? Like, I have a cough. I have a cold, like, like symptom, you know what I mean? But not anymore. Well, at least it's lessened now. And sure. um, at the top, I got the chills and all that stuff, but I never had a fever, never lost taste or anything like that. So it's just, like... Okay. I mean, like, thank God I got the booster and all, like, all, like, the bells and whistles got, like, shot into my arm with all the microchip and all that 5G. It's good. I think it's working. But, um, yeah, it was, uh, I mean, I ended up being exiled to the crib. Not the worst place to be, you know. And um, I still would like to say that that is whack. Not my favorite. Yeah. On track. But also kind of whack. I've been watching, Melania and I watched the first two episodes of W. w Kamau Bell's new series, uh, We Need to Talk About Cosby, last night. Have you seen this? Oh, you know, I've been willing to check it out, but I wasn't sure. What, sh- what is it even on? It's on Showtime, I believe. Okay. It huh. is intense. I got to say, it's one of those things where it's like, that they go through like so the first two episodes thus far right each one's an hour long and there's four in the total series we watched the first two each of the episodes so far have been about like you know Kazi's backstory and like just where he came from but and then like you know in the second episode you just start delving into him becoming like a Vegas fixture and like the Playboy Club and all that other stuff and episode three just as we could tell from the teaser at the end of episode two is going to start going into like the Cosby sitcom stuff like now we're talking like just about past middle-aged Cosby so and so forth like it ended episode two ended with Bill Cosby himself and um like how that kind of changed the game. Like it was already starting to change in terms of like comedians becoming rock stars and you're just about to get Eddie Murphy raw, but you also have Richard Pryor live in the sunset strip and like all these other, you know, George Carlin and all this stuff. And, um, it's just, 
it's such a brutal and honest breakdown of a man's like dual life really right you know what i mean like it's so brutal because it talks like the thing about kamau bell's uh documentary is that he gets like a lot of people to speak on it everybody from entertainment to like education you know what i mean because cosby had this whole champion for education thing going in the 70s into the 80s you know and like but it, the thing that's like the most nascent about it to me is that kamau was a huge cosby fan right like he was like, I'm a black man that was born in the seventies and a comedian. I'm a stand up comic. Who else would I have looked up to? You know what I mean? And it's like I mean, not that Cosby was the only game in town, but like he was like the he was that beacon for Kamau. You know what I mean? And it's it's very obvious in almost every frame of these two episodes so far. Like that it's it's of course, you know, greeted with the shock of what you would expect when someone reveals himself to be these like predator type people you know what i mean like it sucks but it's also like not playing kid gloves on like the impact that this person has had on kamau's life up until that point you know and it's uh it's 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 a struggle man it is a struggle to get through boy it's not so fun i will say but it's it's fascinating it really is just like it's it's really well done and as far as i know i think this is kamau's first directorial debut so, you know, I don't know if he's done any documentaries before this, but it's completely engrossing from top to bottom. And it's just it's fascinating because it's not only an examination of Bill Cosby and the psyche of a predator, but it's also an examination of his role in black Hollywood and his role in like, you know, just championing brown and black people. You know what I mean? And it's so brutal. It's just so intense. But high recommend so far. I think it's really good. I, I mean, like, it's just such a well-done documentary. And just so many things, like, have come to light in it that are insane. Right. Like, the fact that Bill Cosby is the first person in America to be like, hey, I need a black stuntman to double me in this I Spy TV show. <laughs> and it's like, wait, what? Like, they didn't have black stuntmen up until then? And then they go into this whole thing about how, like... um for uh die another day one of the bond girls had to get flipped over by like james bond like by her wrist or whatever and she was she's on there and she's like well that's not me and for the stunt double they just took a white man and they painted his body brown and they show the the hand coming through the door oh with the my gun God. and it's an actual white hand painted brown it's <laughs> insane and then bill Cosby was like well i'm doing all this action stuff i need a black dude to double me and that was like the fire ran like revolutionary concept. They're like, wait a minute, what? We need a black stuntman? But yeah, like he straight up started that shit in America. Like was like, you know, I'm big enough star and it's a lot of action. I need a black person to double me. Insane. It's so crazy. <laughs> you know what I mean? That one person on one end could do the thing and then on the other hand do the other thing. It's just like, that's the same dude? Like what the fuck? It's crazy. But again, navigating difficult reverences is like definitely the centerpiece of this documentary. And I think it's really, really skillfully and interestingly done. So props to Kamau. Like that shit is dope. Like, uh, I mean, again, it's not a fun watch, yeah. but it's something I, that I think I deserves being seen. I appreciate that, though, because I'm, I'm getting tired of feeling like I feel like the world wants me either to be fully on board with all forms of cancellation. 
you know, with all mm-hmm. forms of call out culture, when we all know that we all know someone who something happened and when we actually dug into it, we found out it was like crazy talk, that it was all just crazy talk. Or where you have to be like, no, no responsibility for anyone. And I'm like, there's got to be some place where we go, okay, clearly Bill Cosby's a fucking monster. But like, we acknowledge that he was influential for certain people, but he was a fucking monster. You know, it's got to be yeah. both. And, and you know, I, I appreciate that sort of dealing with that difficulty because I feel like a lot of people either they're like, yeah, we're going to call out everybody all the time. And I'm like... I don't know, man. It, it, just, it starts to take on a feeling like there's no discernment into what's worth it or not. Like, you know, what is worth our time? But I also don't want to say, like, throw it all out the window because mm-hmm. there's got to be responsibility, right? I mean, obviously for someone like Cosby who's really hurt people and broken the rules, but even people who've done just stupid shit. Like, I'm okay with people who have done stupid shit facing consequences. The question mm-hmm. is, how discerning are we as to which stupid shit is worth burning down or, or when we, you know, who are reliable narrators of stupid mm-hmm. shit? You know, think about when, for me, when, uh, what's his name, the director of uh, Guards of the Galaxy got in trouble for some of those tweets. I was like, come on, really? This is what we're doing? We're going for James Gunn? That's what we're going to do? Fuck that. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I think there has to be this discernment thing. And it's a shame, but I, I really do think, you know, I think a chunk of Cosby defenders are obviously going to be misogynist monsters. But there's also people who just, you know, they're sensitive because he's a black man. And we can't, unfortunately, in this world, we can't say that's entirely unwarranted. It's like the O.J. Simpson thing. Everyone came to O.J. Simpson's defense. It's really hard for me to see any evidence that he did not murder that woman. You know what I mean? But I get why they came to his defense, right? That's that's the fucked up world we live in. I'm 100% sure Bill Cosby's a monster. I get why people are like, I don't know. I don't know. One of the craziest things in the documentary so far is um, they talk about how, like, when Cosby was just starting, right? Like, right after he got on I Spy and all that stuff, he started putting out comedy records. And that there are actual breadcrumbs in the records that he put out in 1969, you know, as a clean comic. Yeah. Where he's, dude, he's talking about drugging women. And there was one, I mean, and it's crazy. There's a record that he put out in 1969 called It's True. It's True. And there is one bit on there that is still on Spotify that is still available to listen where he talks about giving women Spanish fly. Fuck. It's fucking crazy pants, dude. And it's like, that's in 1969. He told on himself in 1969. I I, I mean, I will say that's that's what always gets me with with stuff like the Louis C.K. thing. It's like... He told us he was bad, right? Like, he said it. You know what I mean? Like, we, we should maybe have taken some of these things these, these folks say seriously. I don't know. Maybe that's unfair to do to a comic. But to me, it's like, now that we know, it's, like, fucking haunting. Like, yeah, right? and, I, and I do take very seriously the idea that a lot of people have said, which is, like, people did know, right? Yeah. Not everyone knew, but enough people knew that Cosby should have been in trouble a long fucking time ago. Yeah, no, it's wild, dude. It's insane. And then when you think about like stuff like, okay, so it's in the trailer, but what kind of Cosby was that? What kind of doctor was uh, Dr. Huxtable? I don't remember. OBGYN. Right? 
Everyone's yeah. like, oh, he's a pediatrician, takes care of babies. Like, not, not, not. He was an OB doctor. He could have been like one of the talking heads on the on the trail is like, you could have been a dentist. <laughs> it's like, yeah, <laughs> fine. But like just things like that. Like, it's just like the Morrissey thing, right? Like, there's so many songs that like when your arsenal came out in 1994, there was a song in there called the National Front Disco. And I thought, like, ah, oh, he's just making fun of these guys. It's like in 2022. You're like, is he making fun of these guys? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's the, the context. It's all it's just it's baffling how, like, collectively we miss these things. You know what I mean? And yeah. like, granted, like, you know, I don't know, whatever. I'm like, I miss shit all the time. But like, God damn, like word like that. You know what I mean? Like stuff like that is just so widely, like, visible. Well, yeah. it's intense, man. It's such a good documentary. That's what I'm saying to you. I like that. I like that. So that's I, what I, I got. Mean, um, I, I don't know if I'll be able to do it. I couldn't do the R. Kelly one. I tried to do the it. R. And Kelly was, one's so raw. I couldn't fucking do it. that's the other part man. about this one. They're interviewing a bunch of like his victims and stuff. And they talk about how like they get, they, they, you know, they find themselves in situations where they're at like Bill Cosby's house and he's like, here, have a drink. And then the next thing they know, they're waking up in his bed naked with him and they're like, oh, I just thought I did something so stupid. Like, you know, I shouldn't have drank. I was only 17 and like all these other like crazy stories. And you're like, holy fuck, dude. He's been doing that since 1969. Like, I mean, I think is that's insane. This is part of the thing, right? For both the people who want to defend someone like that and the and some of the people who want to attack him, there's a small part of this, which is the culture that we live in, that we live in a culture where women might doubt themselves and doubt their you know who they are and and their own experiences because the society doesn't take their feelings seriously it doesn't teach them about sex it doesn't Mm -hmm. make them stop and go oh this person took advantage you know what i mean and there has to be some complicity in that and people are afraid of it and you know that happens with cosby i think it happens more with other people where it's like you heard like i i kind of see it a lot with with the louis ck thing Mm -hmm. that a lot of comedians heard about it but just didn't really want to take it seriously because of what it meant for them. Mm. You know what I'm saying? I think that happens a lot. You know, yeah, I, I know. we we know of people that we are uh, more than willing to off mic tell you terrible stories about, and uh, you know they've developed their own economy of connections to people that like now it's like yo, it's like you can't. No one wants to admit that something's wrong. Yeah. You know, because it would be too hard for everyone. And, you know, I, I think it's it's one thing when it's like this person did this one thing and nobody was hurt, but it's gross. OK, I get it. I get why we try to ignore when people are just unpleasant. But, you know, Cosby is a, was fucking raping and assaulting. That That's it's it's just, I, you know, the idea that anyone knew about that and wrote it off feels horrifying. But yeah. I don't want to. What I don't want to, what I want to avoid doing is the people who act like that he's a unique monster. I'm sure there are lots of people who did this sort of bullshit, and then people like me who thought they were good people who ignored it, you know? And so I just want to make sure I'm never one of those people who's ignoring that shit, you know? I feel you. Yeah. It's crazy. It's just crazy to me. I don't know. So it's a weird on track, but I'll count it. Yeah. Um, Other on track stuff, though, that is nothing to do with Cosby. Uh, number one, I found the No Comply discography on Bandcamp, and let me tell you, I love that fucking band. Uh, and it's it's all 25... Uh, wait, hold on. It's how many songs? It's 
42 songs, <laughs> 25 years of breakneck drum and bass power violence. It's super duper fun. I love that band. <laughs> um, I found a record by a band from the Philippines called Moscow Olympics. Yo, the record is called Cut the World, and it is on Bandcamp. I haven't found it on any other streaming platforms. And it was released in 2007, and I know nothing about this band. I don't know anything about this band. The internet has nothing for me. Um, all I know is that they're from the Philippines, and they put this record out in 2007. And it straight up sounds like My Bloody Valentine if they got fed through a pop filter. Right. Sure. Like my yeah. bloody Valentine is like, you know, that's like essential shoegaze, right? Like that, that's like book writing style. Like they, they did it first. They were those people. Um, imagine that with the sensibility of a band like, uh, all natural lemon and live flavors or a band like, uh, um, LO darling, like one of those like super poppy twee bands. Sure. Now if you mix that with the reverb soak of my bloody Valentine, this is what you get. And it's, fucking brilliant i want to be friends with these people and um it's it's super duper fun and i find that to be on trek and i think that's that's it i also got another record that's called mira by a band called eternel and it's sure. a uh it's like a slow it's it's a ambient style record instrumental with some talking bits but um it's also like weirdly in that my bloody valentine reverb heavy kind of uh salience which i'm really into i really love that stuff and this record is goddamn beautiful so i would recommend all three of those highly so that's what i got word i love that okay well we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back we're gonna talk about two just really get under your skin fucked up body horror films with Tetsu of the Iron Man from uh, 1989 and 1986's Crash from 96 96 I said 80 oh 96 sorry sorry yeah you you know what you did this the last time we recorded and you were like no I didn't do that and then when I listened back I'm like he did do it he did fucking do it (laughs) Metallica killed by the government and replaced by androids right after the break
And we're back. We're back to discuss two paragons of body horror realness, <laughs> which neither <laughs> of them are real. Neither of them are real. Um, we're talking about 1996's Crash and 1989's Tetsuo the Iron Man. Right? Did I get those dates right this time? You did. 100%. Woohoo! What's up? Uh, Tetsuo the Iron Man, directed by uh, Shinya Tsukamoto. Tsukamoto, yep. Tsukamoto, uh, who's also an actor um, who you may recognize from Shin Godzilla or uh, The Silence or Ichi the Killer. Ichi the Killer, a bunch of stuff. Um, <laughs> this is a movie that I don't know if you feel this way, but Tetsuo the Iron Man is a movie that looms large. It's a movie that if you pay attention to the Japanese films that make their way into the American consciousness, I've seen people talking about this movie. I've seen T-shirts for this movie. Uh, I don't know about other folks, but for me, this is a movie that kind of looms large that even before I watched it, which this was, as I said, the first time I made it through the whole way and really was like into watching it. Um, I'd heard about it forever. It's it's a movie that Americans who care about Japanese genre cinema talk about this. Americans who care about anime have heard of this movie, even though it's not anime. Americans who care about Tokyo Gore movies. Like, if you're someone who's seen Zombie Ass or Tokyo Gore Police or Yakuza Weapon, you or probably... Robo Geisha. Yeah, Robo Geisha. Any of those films you've probably heard of if you haven't seen <clears throat> Tetsu of the Iron Man. And really, like... Interestingly, and I wanted to see what you thought about this, Josh, the DNA for those movies, which are nothing like this movie, is still in this movie. That though this movie maybe shares more in common aesthetically with a movie like Eraserhead, it's still the the birthplace of an entire genre of films that to me feel like gory anime made real life. Mm. It's kind of like the Under the Knife 7 Inch by um, Hatebreed. Sure. Right? Yeah. I love a like, musical reference. Yeah. <laughs> so you're talking about Hatebreed, which yeah. now, you know, in retrospect, is like a huge act, right? Right. And it's like that Under the Knife record, though, it had stuff to it despite being chugga chugga beatdown style hardcore. I feel like, you know, that at that time, um, it wasn't a straight-up ignorant hardcore record, even though right. the musical no, translation agree. thereof is mighty ignorant, right? Like, even though going to a hate breed show back then, I saw the same kid beat up twice at the same show. It was brutal. <laughs> um, but, like, it's one of those things where it's like you can go in two directions now, right? Like, hate breed can be part of your collection that also would have records by bands like Struggle and downcast and other uh like you know more vegan bands like you know it's kind of like the whole into another or bands like um or the like i guess earth crisis but like before before earth crisis and all them got signed to like century media and well, started I mean, going it's, like super it's, metal it's telling is, it's telling that hatebreed initially had a split with Voorhees. there you, you go. know yeah like that's what i'm saying so you could go the Voorhees, you could go that route Right, you can go into like the weird like I know Converge is Converge, but it's also kind of arty. If don't you think? Like if you think about right. it, right? Yeah, but yeah. But then yeah. also there's the other end of hate breed, where now you've got these like vaping goons with the double crossed uh, maces on their tattooed on their bodies everywhere, and it's like, yeah, yo, Monster Energy presents hate breed. You're like, ah. 
it seems like the corniest of corny. Like if yeah. you if you had ever only heard Under the Knife, even though it is a brutal record, nothing about it, it feels corny to me. But if you played for anyone who's into hardcore, the most recent Hatebreed release, you'd be like, I mean, I, I guess this is good to like fix your lifted truck to, but yeah. it's not, you know, I guess this is good for like snowboarding with your shirt off. And so Tetuo sits in that weird cross space, right? Like, on one hand, you have this, like, movie that speaks to uh, transformation, transhumanism, that speaks to issues of guilt gender and, and gender sexuality. and sexuality. But then also, you have this other end of Guinea Pig Zero style, like, he killed her with his boner, like, that kind of, like... Sure, yeah. And it's like... Uh, it can go either way. Yeah, like it's kind of it's kind of like when you find out that Guar was an art collective until yeah. they weren't. Until you suddenly know? they became something <laughs> other than that. Yeah, right? and it's like, so wait a minute, you mean to tell me that Guinea Pig Zero, or even worse, the American translation of Guinea Pig Zero, comes from this movie that has actual like genuine yeah. societal insights? On gender identity and uh, humanism, and I, I mean, transhumanism. Don't, I, I wanna, I wanna say, I'm a little. This is this is going a little more in a negative direction. I, I, I don't want to make it sound like I think Tokyo Gore Police sucks. I actually really like that movie, yeah. but it's it also feels weird though. Right? Well, that, like, yeah, it's but weird the, that this it, comes from that. It, it feels like, so different, and yet yeah. you also are watching this going, oh, I could see how this could influence stuff in the future in a certain direction, even if it wasn't this style. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I totally hear what you're saying. It's, I mean, I don't know if I would put it, part of this is we're putting it at hate breed. I would put this more at like, it's weird to think of the influence that Rorschach has. Yeah. And, and, and considering who they were as a band, and mm -hmm. to think about the idea that like, how many bands, or even let's say, how many bands have borrowed heavily from Cave-In having never heard Beyond Hypothermia or having never heard Until yeah. Your Heart Stops? Like how many bands are like learning the lessons of those records but having not heard them? They just hear what comes out. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's, yeah. How, it, that's how it feels. Uh, but yes, uh, we're being a little, uh, let, let, let's be a little Maybe more specific. Maybe a little bit more obtuse. It's, it's like trying to make friends with like the Slipknot kid in your study hall, right? Stop, you're stop, like, stop. Yeah, I mean, no, I want to be more specific. So this movie um, is, it's not clear right away what the linear narrative is because there are sequences that could be dream sequences or probably more specifically nightmare sequences. But, uh, you know, we have uh, a man who is inserting metal into his flesh, discovers that his flesh is rotting away, that there are maggots in his leg. Uh, he runs out, he's hit by a car, and then we switch to the salary man who's going through a variety of experiences where he is transforming. And some of that is happening in real time. Some of that he's dreaming about it happening. At one point, uh, his, he's chased by a woman who is transforming into sort of a metal monster. At another point, his lover develops a, a, a metal phallus-like tentacle yeah. that she uh, uh, penetrates him with. At another point, his penis turns into a drill. It's it's a bunch of sequences that if you're sitting there trying to figure out what's real and what's not real, it's you're kind of it's it's like almost like a wasted effort, right? You just need yeah. to experience it, feel what you're feeling. Uh, but eventually, the it turns out that him and 
his lover had hit this guy who had inserted the mail, the the metal rather, into his leg, yeah. uh, and then left and then him for dead. The and then they and fucked. Left him for dead. They were so excited at having murdered him that they fucked in the forest. And now he's returned, and they have like a anime style battle before fusing into one giant metal monster that's going to turn the whole world into metal. Chrome. Yeah. It's it is for sure. It, uh, it, also, for the record, yeah, I still like Hatebreed. New releases <laughs> included. Just saying. Oh, get out of my face! I yeah, I am a, I am a. I'll find at least one song on each of those records where I'm like, you know what though, the slaps. As far as I'm concerned, I apply your Metallica theory to Hatebreed. They, <laughs> they, by the government? They all died on the Satisfaction is the Death of Desire <laughs> tour and were replaced by androids who then wrote, what, what, what's the next record? Perseverance? <laughs> Perseverance is a good record. Get dude. the fuck out of here. <laughs> Again, I mean, I don't even listen that much to Satisfaction. I, I literally am like, give me the under the knife CD recording that has the extra <laughs> seven inch tracks. That's what I want to hear. <laughs> that seven inches gold. But anyway, back to what we're talking about. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so there's, there's this, there's a lot of like stop motion in this that, yeah. Well, the first time it happens might feel a little cornball if you're not used to it, but the movie relies on it so much and use it uses it so well with the editing that mm. eventually I was sold on it as an effect. Like, yeah, it definitely felt like early on, like early Svankmeyer kind of like sure, Alice yes, almost levels of stop animation. And um, it still is so effective. And plus, this movie is shot in black and white, which just lends yes. to the whole chrome look of it all. And it's just yes. fucking like that's the other part about this movie, Liam. Like, it's fucking beautiful to me. Like, just watching it visually, yeah, it's it's so compelling. Well, and, it, like, it, it shares it shares things with uh, you know. Recently, I was listening to uh, one of our sister podcasts, Twitch the Death Nerve. They were covering the Category Three movies from Hong Kong. They were saying how in a lot of Category Three movies especially the ones dealing with like sexual perversion or sexual assault. The gross people are always sweaty. They're just sweating. It's not, no one else is sweating. It's not hot out, but they're just wet. That's how you know that they're bad because they're wet. They're just sweaty. This movie, everything, despite it being a movie that in which flesh is being converted to metal, which doesn't sound gooey, right? It Mm. sounds I don't want to say clean, but it does sound like it would be more sterile. This movie manages to take that and still make it gooey and sweaty and drippy. Apparently, when metal comes out of your body, so does Vaseline and blood and other bile. You know what I mean? Like This movie takes the fact that because it's in black and white and you can't really see sometimes what's going on, it uses that shading to fuck with you where, you, you know, who knows? Maybe in real life, if you were in the room, you'd say, that looks stupid. But in the movie, it's the most fucking upsetting, realistic. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm sure there, I, I'm sure where there's someone out there who tried this movie and thought, "Oh, it didn't work for me because the effects were stupid." I, I don't want right. to act like this okay. is a universal experience. That that might yeah. be true, but as far as I'm concerned, and I think as far as you're concerned, this shit was real. Like, as far as I was concerned, these people were turning into fucking metal before my eyes. Yeah. This is unbelievable effects work. Uh, it's unbelievable low tech. Like the fact yeah, that they're able to pull off this movie. Yeah. yeah. There are it's, parts of this movie that are more effective than anything in live action 
uh, like like let's say fantasy action in other movies. Like movies that rely on CGI can't nearly be as effective. Not all of them, I'm saying, but there are movies that rely on CGI that are not nearly as effective as this fucking low budget weird metal shit. You know. Yeah. And it's like done in, in, I won't even call it tasteful because it's 100% distasteful. Gross. But it is, it, there's just so many flashes of almost euphoric cinematicness to this movie. Sure. That it's so whirling and so kinetic. And like it feels like almost fluff free in its execution of what it's trying to tell, right? Like, None of it seems wasted. None of it seems just like a low-hanging fruit. Which is crazy in which this is a movie in which there are multiple sequences where I'm I'm telling you, I really do think delineating between dream and reality would be fruitless. You're just seeing images. And so for a movie to be that um, avant-garde and abstract, you know, Mm. while still being grounded in real-world gooeyness – but to also be effective. Now, granted, it's a short movie. It's an hour. It's only seven an hour minutes. long. Yeah. Which yeah. let me tell you something. When I started, eight minutes in, Melani's like, "Hey, I gotta get something, Jake." So we paused it, and I was like, "I don't know if I'm ready to get back into this, but it's only an hour long." But the thing is, it feels longer if you are a person who's easily uh, grossed out, which I am. It's, which is cra- well. So here's the deal. It's the only movie I could say that feels longer than it is, but uh, that's a good thing. Like usually yeah. when you're like, oh, this movie is only this long, but it feels like it takes forever. That's not this. This is like this motherfucker punishes you so hard for, for an hour that like by the end you feel exhausted, but that's good. Like you're not like, mm. oh, this movie's stupid. It's like it's effective. It effectively – again, not dissimilar from maybe those early hate-read tracks, right, where uh-huh. there's no fluff. They're just like, all right, here you go. Here's you know, whatever it is, 12, 13 songs of brutality. And then when the record's over, you're going to be like, oh, what the fuck just happened to me? I, it, probably hate-read's not even a great example. I would say like you know, this is like grindcore cinema, right? Like this mm. is like we did a blast beat for – 10 minutes that was actually 70 songs but it was the same blast <laughs> beat you know that's how this that's how this feels to some extent though you know there is some you know there are some chiller moments than others whatever like i don't want to make it sound like it's all one note but it does effectively hurt you it effectively makes you feel uncomfortable for yeah. longer than maybe you thought you could feel uncomfortable yeah i agree i agree while still having weird Derek German esque like like exposition, visually yeah. expositive like moments. Yeah, it's just so good. It's really really good. Uh, but I mean, I'm not trying to sell you on it either. It's not the kind of movie that I think a casual viewer can just stumble into and be like, oh, well, that was enriching. Oh, I mean, we said this with uh, with uh, Tatain. Uh, mm-hmm. I think we would also say it with Crash. If this sounds like something you're gonna hate. Then you're probably going to hate it, and maybe yeah, you yeah, shouldn't yeah, watch yeah. it. That this is not like a surprise. Like, oh, I was expecting uh, this, and I got it. This is, <laughs> you know, what this is like when people who love cheese are describing the cheese to you, and they're like, yeah, it's like a dank cave feet, <laughs> like feet, it's like got rotting. Mold in it. There's, like mold. there's there's rotting feet in a cave. 
It's got and notes of and oak in gooey. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and if you don't like cheese, you're like, why would I want to eat like, that? But if you're cut. into it, you're like, yeah, fuck yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Like in the mouth right now. Yeah, That's give it to me. Going. Oh, fuck yeah. yeah. That's how this movie is. Is like, yo, man, it's got metal and goo, and it's it's a fucking nightmare scenario, and there's all kinds of weird sexual stuff going on. There's, uh, you know, I like that the essay we read. You know, I want to give credit to it as this isn't my idea, but it it did push the idea that there's some gender bending going on here, but very much in a male centric way. Like this is a this is gender bending from a cis male cis hetero male perspective. Mm. You know what I mean? And I and I think that that's probably true, though I, I honestly don't know the director, so it might be inaccurate. But the vibe of the movie is very much like. You know, when he's violated by this this woman, it, it is very much not a fulfillment. It's like a it's no. like a breaking of a barrier. Which, yeah. you know, for some people it's like what barrier is broken? You know, who cares? But but I don't think it's ineffective in that. And I and I I worry that it uh, uh expresses an anxiety uh, mm. about gender. But but I think rather than worry about that, I think what the movie's doing overall is showing that through the relationship of these people with technology, there's both a violation and an expansion, right? right. Like, like it's it's definitely a dark tale about these folks. And and you know, and if I don't think you'd be wrong to take this movie and make it super socio political, mm-hmm. like if someone watches and goes, "This is clearly post World War II Japanese technology society," I don't think that's wrong. I don't think you need to have that meta take to like the movie. Yeah. But I don't think you're wrong to, to I also read don't think all that, that was exactly there. the onus behind the movie's creation, right? Sure. Like, I don't right. know if Sukumoto was in there just being like, well, you know, technology is like, nah, man, drill dick. Shit's brutal, right? Like, yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. But I do think, I don't think you're, this is one of the things we can talk about with interpretation. And I know that some people would think I'm crazy or don't like this, but I think you can, you can, as long as we all know that all of our interpretations are ephemeral, subjective. yeah, subjective and ephemeral, they aren't the law of truth. Mm. I think you can then say, yeah, this is probably influenced by the Japanese turn to technology to save their entire economy. Like, I'm sure it's influenced by that and by the anxiety, even in 1989, that we were entering a virtual space, which, by the way, is predictive. Like, Mm-hmm. This movie more accurately represents, in some ways, our current condition with the combo of, A, how our phones have become an extension of our brains, where our brains couldn't even work without phones in some extents, and B, replace metal with plastic, and this is actually real. Like, yeah. portions of our bodies are now plastic in a way that they've never been before because the plastic in our water. Mm-hmm. That's just a fact. Yeah. And, like... You know, he he definitely picked the wrong element. He predict is predicting metal Bro, becoming metal. a part of yeah. who we are, and it was actually plastic. But whatever, it's still accurate that like we we have to adjust. I mean, it's it's one of the weird things about our world that like, and I think this is where the movie interacts with Crash and it, and also interacts with with uh, Titan, is that um, we need to be a lot more fluid about what we think human means. Right, yeah. and we have been. We just didn't real like what what we had was a contracting. What we had was was human actually had a lot of different definitions by a lot of different people. But as we tried to maintain one global culture, that culture was inevitably 
white and European and was influenced by very strict views of what, you know, this was coming up for me the other day. I started watching the new Jonathan Van Ness show on Netflix. That's just his podcast in a show. And they were talking about the gender binary. And one of the people on the show was talking about how historically speaking, the gender binary is a very new thing. Like people didn't actually think that was the case everywhere in the world, that there are lots of cultures, not universally, but plenty of cultures that understood that gender had either more than two options or had a variety of options and that that's actually a common idea. And in fact, the idea that having very strict, very closed, very defined genders was actually popularized by, you know, basically white supremacists who saw it as the ultimate uh, end of civilization. Like they actually believed that other cultures did have more fluid genders. That's what made them less civilized, i.e. less white. And so like, you know, that that idea should be at play now when we are literally being altered by technology. Should we be thinking about what human means and how it has to change? It, it might need to change over time, which isn't to say it's a positive thing. According to this movie, I don't think the idea of their it bodies come out feeling positive. No, I'll say that. not at all, not at all. But I, <laughs> but I do think that I do think, um, and this is where I think it's worth bringing up to Tane. I think uh, that movie has a little bit more ambiguous view of like. You know, gender identity and the fluidity of it. And like, that's one of the articles that we had read also was talking about how, you know, the main character in Tatane is actually gender fluid in that they become a, you know, a male presenting person by the second half of the movie. And, um, and that's as an instinct and matter of survival. Yeah. Which, you know, I mean, and that's the funny thing about this movie, right? Like, was I the only one, Liam, that like, got to read that actually this transmogrification into a metal chrome like individual like that that's because of elements of guilt and repression oh yeah that there's this feeling of um if i mean what it came across to me is like if this is the future right if if all of our and and it's worth noting you know there's a lot of aesthetic things we haven't touched on but one of the things to keep in mind is when they're outside you notice everywhere they go is strewn with like Trash and debris yeah. and like fucking postmodern yeah. debris, not like branches right. and shit. Yes. It's all like paper and trash. Yeah, and everything and is just the the refuse of our technological society. If the focus is this this technology, then isn't there an extent to which you would want your biological nature to fuse with the technological nature? You would want a greater synergy between them. Like that, that sounds crazy, but in the context of the movie, it kind of, you know, but it's, but it's worth keeping in mind that the, the character name is not just the technologist. It's the, it's the metal fetishist, right? Mm. That there is something sexual and transgressive about him inserting this metal into his body. And then the irony that he's killed by a car. Like, I think that's part of what's going on. And it ties into crash too. But I do think you're right that like, there's something to do here. Like the, it feels to me. And again, I don't want to writ this large as a huge claim about whatever, but it does feel to me that the reason, part of the reason that all of this transformation is so underlyingly sexual Mm -hmm. is about the repressive natures of the society that like, 
one of the things that's being transgressed when the flesh is being transgressed by metal is all of the boundaries between people. I mean, you know, when two people see the evil they've done by discarding of a body and their first inclination is to fuck, there's something going on there about power and fetishism, right? Like there's something there's something that the director's trying to tell us about their own sense. And like even they're turned on by the idea that as he's dying, he's watching them. Uh, yeah, that's there's some weird shit going on there, totally, and and I do think like that 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 vibe carries through the transformation and even that final sort of battle between them. Yeah, agreed. It's and then at the end they fuse and decide to take the world over. They're going to turn like the, the whole world transformation, chrome. right? And that's yeah. the final act of the repression, right? Like that's what it yields. It's just oddly a masterful movie. Nothing that I expected to find when I found this movie. <laughs> but also, that's kind of like the topic of body horror, isn't it? Yeah. I'm like, yeah. I picked body horror because I'm like, yeah, my man's hand is mangled. Let's talk about that well, shit. It's uh, yeah, I mean, like, but, like the, so people know. That I've, I, I'm thinking about body horror. I've had so many between the sleep apnea thing and then I have like a, a lymph node that I needed to get biopsied and then I've got this all this stuff with my hands where I need to get surgery I'm feeling this feeling of like body heart makes a lot of sense when you're aware of the limitations and the denigration of your own body when your especially body after 40 especially after yeah, 40 go on when your body feels like a shitty meat sack that is not up to <laughs> like your brain uh, even the dumbest among us must have some sense that their brain feels infinite, that what yeah. you're capable of thinking of and imagining is far beyond the capabilities of your shitty flesh that has to waste time eating fuel and shitting it back out <laughs> and sleeping and resting and stretching and apparently running all the time just to keep the excess fat off. Like You know what I mean? Like Everything you do feels like, fuck, I got to keep this chases. Yeah. moving and if you don't do that right you sit too long you're going to be sore and have issues you and move in the bummed. wrong way yeah. you're just not you push yourself to joy yeah what the brain has left to do after the body falls apart yeah <laughs> when i'm when i'm thinking like you know i i might need to like get a lymph node removed because of body st- you know what i mean like that's yeah. just crazy that like sucks. just just work body just fucking work and so like part of what's going on for me with tetsuo is like is there something about machinery that feels more like are these people being infected by machinery or are they infecting machinery with their humanity i don't know and i think this is a good transition to switch to 1996's crash Mm. which is a film in which the relationship between sexuality and car crashes is kind of explored and there are plenty of moments where it's much more subtle than tetsuo but i think cronenberg has this way of still pushing the boundaries right yeah like still fucking with us as to like like there are moments when they're touching these cars that have been smushed up in accidents and they make it look so sexual they're like fingering the cars josh like what the fuck so weird yeah Yeah. ah man so yeah crash let's transition (laughs) so crash it's basically uh there's a the uh james spader uh uh, is in a relationship i forget he's like a writer for a movie (laughs) which is Uh, you know is he a right no he's the camera guy he's 
No, he's not the Asian lady. He's the camera guy. He's oh, the he's the writer. Oh, because I missed that. And it's funny because when the movie starts and the credits are like based on the book by J.G. Ballard, and then oh uh, right, like yes, James yes. Ballard, and so I assume Cronenberg's just like that's the guy who wrote. I'm putting him in the movie, and um, so he like writes this. He's a movie writer, book writer guy, and he he is in. Oh yeah, and Deborah Kara Unger is his uh, wife, I guess. In a very open relationship, I'd say. Yeah, you know well, I mean? so so the the immediate vibe of the movie, right, is that these are people who are looking to make their sex life more interesting. So they're sleeping with other people and then telling each other about it, which sounds hot, right? Like a, in a different movie, it might be so sweaty, so fucking right. sweaty. And in this Cronenberg movie, it yeah. is so cold and detached. It's such and a bummer, yeah. She, and it's- James Spader encounters this encounters Holly Hunter. He has an accident with her. Her partner in the car dies. Yeah, he's flying from one windshield into James Spader's car through another windshield. And then as soon as as soon as the cars stop moving, Spader's in there and he's all banged up. And Holly Hunter's in the other car and she just flashes the boobies. Yeah. Yeah. What? And we're introduced through her to um Elias Codius. Yeah, Elias Codius, you know, fucking uh the the, the the dude from CSI or whatever the fuck. I was going to say the ski mask guy from uh, Casey Jones. He plays Casey Jones in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. He's also in uh, Wet Hot American Summers. The, oh, the yes, cook. yes, 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 yes. great. So hey. Elias, Elias Codius is – it's it's not officially a cult, but it's like a bunch of people who are all obsessed with cars and car crashes. And they all relate to this fetish in a different way. Like for Holly Hunter, she wants to have sex in a car and she likes like – risking car crashes but it's less like the crash itself whereas for elias codius it's like he's turned on with the crashing the violence of it and he's covered in fucking scars and gross looking he's pale (laughs) and he is he is definitely his his sexuality is very fluid he's into women and men and and but it's it feels like those people are not what matters. It's the cars that matter, right? Yeah, it's the crash uh, that matters. Yeah, and then like he has a partner in, in putting on these like recreations of crashes. Who we see later in the movie attempts a crash on their own, and James Spader's sort of attracted to this world, but he's also kind of off put by it. And you know, there's it's just the whole thing is dangerous, right? Because Elias Codius kind of wants to smash all of them with his car. And his ween. Regardless for their safety, right? Yeah. And James Spader is sleeping with, with Holly Hunter, but she only wants to have sex in cars. And uh, at a certain point, she he gets with uh, Rosanna Arquette's character, who is also horribly disfigured from car crashes. And he literally um, has sex with a giant scar on her leg as if it's a vagina. Whoa, it's so gnarly. Yeah, it's weird, man. I mean, it's... It is a movie about the strange. So, like, I, there's a part of me that wants to be a little sensitive because it's like, well, I don't want to shame anyone's fetish. But this is a film about yeah, this pushing the realms of that what that weird, is. Like, shamey moment. Right? Yeah, like exactly. Weird. I, and I kind of cite it as like Cronenberg's masterfulness of storytelling in that, like, he's showing the push and pull between repulsion and attraction, right? Like, he's showing that, like, that horrific boner. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this is this is Cronenberg all the time, right? That sexuality is yeah. also monstrous, even as it can be fulfilling. I mean, think about 
the thing about the, the end of the shivers or the you know yeah. the brood or any number of other even the the sexuality of rabid you know what i mean like the the choice of using a, a beautiful porn star to be the the person who has the underarm penis that sucks people's blood and gives them the disease and there's all it's just again and again cronenberg has this way of pushing the body and yeah. it, and crash represents maybe a transition from <laughs> some of his more horrific fantastical films into his more i wouldn't say realistic but seemingly realistic but there are aspects yeah but there are aspects of 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 crash that are fantastical that are over the top feeling even if the overall vibe is realistic and from what i understand ballard's it, it differs from Ballard's book in certain ways, you know, and, and I like think what? that's interesting. Uh, my understanding is that, like, I guess the fetishism of it is a little less present in Ballard's book. I don't know. I, 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 I should read it before I say this is just something I read online reading someone talking about Crash was that they felt like the, that that Cronenberg's spin on it was a little more of the the uh pushing the envelope of the fetishism of the cars as opposed to maybe ballard was is more like a death cult maybe i don't know i'm not sure i uh again i am speculating on something secondhand so i should read the (laughs) the thing before all i'm saying is in this movie it's it's the crashing but it's also the sexuality of that and it's the danger uh but it's also this like feeling of the freedom to take your and even the end right where his he's in an accident with his wife and she survives and he he, <clears> says, <throat> and he says maybe next time maybe next idea. time as they have sex next yeah, to the car at the crash <sighs> car it's oh. a lot man it's a yeah. lot the whole yeah. time I was like man these white people are crazy <laughs> there, there is a way to watch so there's a way to watch this movie from a distance that would just be like oh this is just crazy shit and just write it off right, right. and I don't think that that's fair you gotta let Cronenberg movies get to you you know what yeah, I mean you have to let them make you uncomfortable in yeah. order for them to like truly yeah. reveal themselves and, and, and this s- is no different than that oh totally and there, and, there, and so for me I, I feel like whenever I'm watching one these Cronenberg things and there's the sexuality of it I have to push myself and say in what ways is Cronenberg dehumanizing that which I am connected to you know what I mean mm-hmm. or or in the other direction humanizing something that feels monstrous to me yeah. uh, and what does that say about my own humanity and so that's what I'm still sort of struggling with with Crash I do think there's a sense in which to what extent you know cars especially in the US maybe this would be harder for people from other places but like here in chicago right Mm. your car is almost more important than your home in some people's lives maybe not totally and and we have so made we've so idealized the idea of home and homeness into humanity and what makes the family how do we also do that with cars especially when cars are so sexual and phallic and like we fuck in cars. We we drive cars to fuck. We make cars look like dicks. I mean, maybe less maybe less now. But like, you know, the entire company of Jaguar cars for years was just like, how do we make a car look more dick like more like a smooth dildo? You know what I mean? Like there's just something inherently sexual about our relationship to cars. Again, maybe more in this country than in other places. Uh-huh. And so to make that writ large in a way it seems 
maybe even a little silly, but nothing about this felt parts of it felt kind of funny, but but not silly. Dude, like dressing up like Jay Mansfield to crash the car. Like that whole scene with that other guy who plays James Dean in the thing. And and then like Elias Codius does the whole, well, we're going to do the Mansfield crash next. Like that whole, like, Oh, that weird subset. It's just, it's it's not silly, but it's also just like, well, and there's a lot of other things that, you know, Cronenberg is interested, like the cult of personality around him, yeah. the people's attraction to him, but they're, they're certainly going to be willing to let him kill himself in one of these cars, right? Like, Right, 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 right. It's, wow. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack in this one. And it's weird, too, because, again, it's like such an impersonal movie between the characters. It's right. so not about the body <laughs> for a body horror movie. I mean, it is, but it's also just about. Like, I think. That... I think it really gets there with the Rosanna Arquette scene, though, when yeah, he's the Rosanna fucking Arquette character. Her leg. It's oh. like, oh, blah. It's but so but gnarly. you know, it it. There's something about that that I think I I hope people understand. Like, you know, I I I. I don't. We're we're living in a culture where I think I think rightfully people are trying to reclaim some sense of sexual positivity, where people feel less shame and less repression about sexuality, and that's fine. But that's and not good. Really what this movie is going for. Well, but I think Cronenberg reminds us that there is something weird about sexuality. <laughs> you know that there is something yeah. strange about it. That there is something off putting, and that that's okay, and 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 that's part of our experience i don't know I, I don't even know if he thinks it's okay he just is reminding us about it and it's up to us to decide what it means i, I think cronenberg is uninterested in any moralizing in any direction ever mm, so yeah. like he wants it to ring true to some extent but you're supposed to decide for yourself if that means anything you know Oof. it's a heavy choice man and that's what i love about cronenberg i'll be honest yeah. like i love cronenberg and dude it, it's I mean, come on, man. Like, what kind of movie presupposes, like, the fact that you're supposed to make that call by the end of it and leaves you with almost no answers? Right, yeah. What kind I of mean, ballsy director would pull such a move with it's, people like James Spader? Like, and that's the other thing, right? Like, so many actors in this movie became, like, way bigger actors after this movie. <laughs> like, uh, Holly Hunter. It is. I mean, James Spader was definitely <laughs> unknown quantity yeah, at this was... point too so he's taking a risk with this and i think it's a justified risk like i think yeah. he is turning in a performance that is unbelievable i mean i think everyone in this movie is very good and really doing i mean i i guess um i guess the woman who who plays his wife unger uh deborah Kara unger she's maybe the least memorable to some extent but she's also asked like his there's something about their relationship that feels off balance to me and i think part of her role is to be completely detached yeah so like maybe it's not i think it's unfair to say it's definitely her performance it might just be how it's written you know all i know is that she's not she's not doing the thing that like we're getting for some of the other people but that's okay it doesn't it's what she's doing isn't bad that's not Mm. it at all it's just a different sort of task than what other people are doing but suffice to say everyone i mean holly you've you haven't seen holly hunter like this in the past i guess you've seen rosanna arquette do some other crazy shit right but 
Still, I've never seen Elias Codius. No, be this, way. this Elias Codius is fucking he's unbelievable. So this weird movie. In this movie, it's so wild. He, at it's any so point, wild. you think he's either going to pull his dick out or put his hand into his own wound. Like yeah. there are moments where you're like, there, he's going to start fucking right now, or he's going to take his hand and shove it into one of his scars and just take his his own you know innards out. Ugh, it's so good. It's so good. That's the other part about this movie. Right. Like. And actually, that's the other part that shares this with Tetsuo for me. Like, I don't know if these viewing experiences were exactly, like, pleasant. But I definitely come away from viewing both of these movies thinking to myself, like, we've been somewhere. Which, at the end of the day, that's that's the indelible mark that movies can leave on people as they fleet, you know what I mean, into the recesses of your mind. You're like, oh, wait a minute, we just went somewhere. (laughs) <laughs> like, well, I'm not I so mean, sure you this know, this is the kind of body horror I was thinking, right? But here we are. I think, I mean, I do think they both do qualify as a kind of body horror, and it's certainly one that is dealing with our interaction with technology and what that means mm-hmm. for our bodies. Uh, again, just like Tatane, that they are pushing the realms of what we think of as human in relationship to what we create, and yeah. and that's not completely fantasy, no. Our bodies are changing because of how we're changing the world around us, and we need to like understand that. And if if it's a bad thing, then we should change that. You know, like maybe cancer is a result of the industrial revolution. I don't mm. fucking know. I, I don't think that's entirely accurate, but there might be relationships there. So I, I'm not writing off naturalism, but I mm. do think Cronenberg's one of the first people to point out like naturalism in the sense of worshiping anything that's natural or organic. It's not the whole fucking story. I mean, no, nature is fucked in and of itself, let alone <laughs> how technology shapes us as people. Uh, and I think of the three movies, and maybe this is the, why it would it would have been also hard to talk about, Tatane is the least worried about, about that. nature, yeah. It's technology most, yeah. informs her. She is, her life is changed by a car. She is bound romantically with a car. And uh-huh. she produces, Produces an offspring who is part car, car, and yet the film, though all those aspects are there and they might feel connected to a sense of horror, they also are the least. What's more important is the relationship she's able to form. Would That's be, more important yeah. than the fact that her baby is part car. And I think in doing that, Tatane does something magical, and uh, and I and I appreciate that too. So, anyways, back to these movies though. I want to go back to when we were talking about music. You know, there are lots of kinds of music I wouldn't recommend to casuals, to someone who has no experience with it. If you're someone who isn't interested in fucked up body horror, then these movies maybe shouldn't be a movie you check out first thing. But there are plenty of people who maybe haven't had a chance to see these that something in this vague realm might be up their alley. You gotta do it, buddy. You gotta yeah. do it. No, it's a thing that definitely you deserve. Yeah, I agree. If that if this is if this is an area in the cinema fandom that you're looking to explore, these are the these are places where you should start. I agree. Um, I'm sorry. I almost feel like I'm so obsessed with the filmmaking in these two movies. I feel like we haven't given as much time as we do in other episodes to sort of the meta philosophical aspects. But part of that is because when it comes to Cronenberg, he's one of the people I think about the most in relationship to themes because it's the hardest because I think he is, he's He's so obtuse. Yeah. He's so uninterested. Yeah. He's so uninterested in being didactic. That's actually what makes it the most fun to meditate on is because it is so lacking in, 
in actual like um, preaching <laughs> gravitas, right? Like it's the one that has like like he knows the story already and he's not interested in explaining it to you. He's just interested in showing you what he knows. Right. And that's and and he's uninterested in making sure you come away with any a, type a of truth or a, or yeah. a, or a value or whatever it is. So that actually makes it more interesting. But the thing about Crash is because this is my first time viewing it's I'm having trouble. I just think I need to watch it more to have more of a perspective on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I will say I do think both of these movies give us fodder to think about when it comes to technology. I just I just wonder if maybe I'm more in the how do I move forward than I am in the mm-hmm. oh no, I'm becoming Tetsu of the Iron Man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, both of these movies to me just end up being weird meditations on guilt. Right, like sure, yeah. Crash ends up being a, a guilt of the inability to connect, and Tetsuo becomes, an, you know, of course, is an overt like admission of guilt via the transformation and how it can change you from the inside. And um, thematically, for me, that's that's the body horror of both of these. Right, I like that- I do think that you. Your response to Crash and guilt is definitely a person. Like that's the thing about Cronenberg, right? I don't know that Cronenberg is interested in guilt, but I think you watching the movie—that's what comes to you about it. Is this uh, this feeling of disconnect and the guilt that that brings up? But I, I what that's what makes Cronenberg interesting is I think he personally would be like, sure, whatever. Like I don't think he <laughs> yeah. he, he has some type of Uber that he's trying to play with yeah. emotions. You know? No, I mean, no, yeah. yeah, he's not trying to do all that. Yeah, but. I don't know. Also, maybe if I watched Crash before I watched Tetsuo, I'd have a different read on it. But uh, I felt it so nascent in Tetsuo that it bled into Crash for me. So there you go. Well, the inciting incident in in Tetsuo is uh, a car crash. Yeah, yeah, and 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 the co- and the subsequent covering it up. So I think that informs the reading of the rest of the movie. You know, and yeah. Mm. All right. Well, we we've talked a while, so we're gonna wrap it up there. Uh, you know. We've never really gone back to anything, but I could see us coming back to these movies down the road and Maybe movies with Adriana like because Adriana yeah. loves both of these movies and we That's love Adriana. True. So guess uh, what? Maybe her, Adriana, there's a little episode coming your uh, way about a, uh, a part two. Uh, who knows? A sequel, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, and thanks. A lot of people actually let us know how much they love Tetsuo and uh, Crash. So thanks for the input. Uh, maybe what we'll do in the future is ask people to like, you know, give us their comments or questions and we'll respond to them on, on the show, on the show. <laughs> a questions episode. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or we'll incorporate, we'll let you know what the topic is and we'll incorporate it into the show, whatever. Anyways. Hey y'all. Thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. We're glad that you're here. As always rate review and subscribe because it's the currency that means uh, stuff to podcasters like us. And uh, thank you so much for listening, and we hope to talk to you again soon. Have a great day, y'all. Stay safe. Smoke bomb. Do you like spooky movies? Hair-raising tales. Insightful criticism. Judgmental hot takes. Then you're going to love Horror Business, the horror podcast on the Cinepunks Podcast Network dedicated to all things weird and spooky. My name is Leo Donald. And I'm Justin Lore. And every episode, we're going to tear apart your favorite and not-so-favorite horror movies to get to the bottom of what makes these movies great, or maybe not great. <laughs> Whether it's The Beyond, Prince of Darkness, or Inseminoid, we dive in on a double feature every episode, and then we talk about it. Some of our insights are great, and sometimes we just complain. So if we have to suffer through it, so do you. Horror Business, available anywhere you find fine podcast products.